Great. Well, welcome to this week's edition of the Called, Connected, Committed podcast. Um, as you can probably tell, I'm not Andy Wolf. Uh, in fact, we've got an all-female takeover today. Um, my name is Emily Norman, and I am the Head of Networks for the Foundation for Educational Leadership. And I am absolutely delighted that today I am joined by Alicia Lewis. Um, she is a member of our recently formed Leadership of Diversity and Inclusion Network which we are running in partnership with school leaders over in the USA. Alicia is the deputy head teacher of St. Mary's School in Southend-on-Sea in Essex. Um, she's a BAMED representative for the East Region. She runs an ethnic diversity and leadership program, which is funded by the Department for Education. She is an SLE and lead moderator across Southend Borough Council Schools and she works uh, with teachers across both primary and secondary phases on decolonizing the curriculum. We're really, really privileged that she's here with us today. Welcome, Alicia. Hello, thank you for having me. This is very exciting, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic, it's just great to have you with us. Um, and as we always do, I'm gonna ask Alicia to read from Calls Connected Committed, and today we are looking at Seeking Reconciliation. Alicia. Leaders in education are called to pursue social justice and well-being of all, showing love for the disadvantaged, marginalised and vulnerable. They create and implement a curriculum that liberates and empowers children and communities. Barriers are removed by wise pedagogy, transformative pastoral care, and wise allocation of resources. Leaders build schools that enable disparate communities to live well together, rooted in dialogue, empathy, and love. Their schools become beacons of restoration, filled with peace-seeking, environment-saving, community-loving activists. That's great, thank you so much. I wonder when you read that, Alicia, what is it that jumps out to you um, immediately as you kind of read through that paragraph? I think the first time I read this, what jumped out at me immediately were the words that the curriculum liberates and empowers children and communities. Yeah. Because I think if you don't have that empowerment, then nothing much will follow. If you don't have that inspiration, if you don't have that aspiration, if you don't have the ambition, that actually we can make a better, mm. then you won't get very far. And I think that's the bit that really does. There's so much powerful stuff in that paragraph, but I think that's the bit that is the real core of it. Because if you don't have that empowerment and that passion, you can only go so far. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. And I know you are really passionate um, about working with the curriculum and about decolonizing the curriculum and thinking about how we can have a better curriculum. I wonder what advice would you have for schools who are maybe embarking upon this journey and thinking, how can we really look at our curriculum and think about how we can make it a more diverse curriculum or more just curriculum or more fair curriculum? I think the first thing I would say is, you need to go in this wholeheartedly yeah. and you have to realize that actually anything you do with the curriculum will only ever be a bolt-on if you don't have the time and the effort to put the real work in and the real work comes from you as a staff and as a community learning more about each other 
learning more about the history of our country and also being more comfortable with having the uncomfortable conversations because until you actually get to the nitty gritty which is the language of race you know actual people's stories about racism the truth of our history until you do that anything you do will just be a bolt on it will be lip service because there is so much more to the curriculum than just putting some ethnic posters on the wall or finding some stories with some black children in there's so much more to that and until you as a staff actually really look at that together anything you do will not have value it will make a difference but it won't have that impact and that's really what's at the core yeah so good it's so important isn't it to look at uh, school culture and think about it's all very well to pull a, a curriculum document off the web but actually if you unless you've got teachers who understand why they're teaching it yeah. you've got a school culture that understands why we're learning this and it's really embedded in in everything that the school does and the school really gets why they're doing it um actually it's just it's not going to embed long term is it completely and i think there's the, the wrong point everybody makes is that as soon as people start to talk about race, mm. immediately heckles go up because it's either that thing that people start wondering, do people think I'm racist? And actually it isn't about that. What yeah. we really need to move forward with is the language of anti-racism. Mm. This isn't just about I'm not racist. It's actually about what is everyone doing to be actively anti-racist? And I think we always say to the children, you know, we've got November coming up, which is anti-bullying week. Yeah. And we always say to the children, well, last year as a school, we made a whole thing about being an upstander, not a bystander. Mm -hmm. And this is the same situation. Yeah. If you're going to be actively anti-racist, it's actually about you now being an upstander and not just letting things run as they've run before, actually now being the person that makes some noise and says, this isn't working. This isn't working for these children it's not working for our families mm. and it involves you really looking at all of the layers I think this is like a massive onion mm. there are so many layers to peel and people think this is just oh we'll, we'll rewrite the curriculum and it will be fine but there's so many layers to it because it isn't just about the children it's also about the families it's the community it's everything yeah. because it should be at the heart of everything we think about yeah, absolutely. And um, we've started on our journey together in our in our network, haven't we? Um, thinking about how um, we need to do this, not just because it's right, not because we just want to tick a box, not just because we want to be seen to be doing it, but we, 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 we're we doing this work because we believe it's better for our children, it's better for our schools. Actually, we, we can't really have that sense of fullness of life unless we are seeing um, people from all different ethnicities represented, that unless we have got everybody in our community or we're learning about different um, people's experiences, we're hearing different people's stories, we're hearing different voices. Um, and so it does, it starts there, doesn't it? Um, yeah. And I think the stories is a really important element because mm. that's how we all learn. That's how we all take things in. If we hear things in stories, that speaks to us. It speaks to our emotional literacy and our compassion. And without the stories, you don't get to the heart of things. And quite a lot of the time, the children haven't got their stories seen. Mm. You know, our country is the way it is now because 
we don't teach about all of those bits in our history which have given us value today yeah. so much of our British history especially the black British history is not included but it is so valuable yeah. and I think the way we celebrate things even within schools so I take Remembrance Day as an example mm. because Remembrance Day you would think just if you googled you know World War One soldiers yeah you see millions and millions and millions of images of white soldiers when the reality is actually there were lots of soldiers from the West Indies that were fighting alongside us there were Sikhs that were there with us there were all of these other cultures and heritages and backgrounds that fought alongside us and yet we don't have those images we don't see them on the television I think my mum, who's always been a great pioneer of me learning my black British history, yeah. you know, I think about two years ago, sent me a text because there was a program on BBC Four about the forgotten black um, yeah. heroes. And you just think, why is that on BBC Four? Yeah. Yeah. Why is it I'm watching on BBC One and I'm not seeing any representation from all of those other countries that were also alongside us? And so, to my own staff, I've said, we have to have that in our Remembrance Day, because otherwise, I remember sitting there as a child in assembly, thinking, this is a white celebration. Right. Nobody, nobody black was in this war. There was nobody black there. Yeah. Just white people lost their lives. Yeah. And actually that then means that my place here yeah. is more of an immigrant situation. I can't celebrate this properly because I've actually got no one that looks like me in this. Yeah. But for lots of our children, knowing that people from their families were also in this is really powerful because actually it means something to them on a different level. Yeah. And for our schools who, who will say, well, you know, we're a school in a, in a very monocultural setting, actually places like Remembrance Day are really good places to start, aren't they, to actually look back and think about well, let, well let's think about who were who was fighting in those wars and let's learn their stories and hear what they what they can teach us about um about that experience for those people and what they have brought and contributed to our, our country completely and i think schools that are in that situation where they don't have natural diversity within their school have to do an even bigger job because we have to remember that the children aren't always going to live in that place. Yeah. They are multicultural, they're in a multicultural society. They are a global citizen. Yeah, absolutely. And they could end up moving who knows where, doing who knows what job. And actually we need to prepare them for the fact that other people are different. And sometimes you forget that. And sometimes you forget those things that children say, because I remember when I was training to be a teacher, I went to a school um, in Benfleet, so about 25 minutes away from where I live, um, in a place where my grandparents lived, literally around the corner from my, um, my grandma's house. And one day a little boy came up to me and he said, are you white or black? Mm. And I sort of thought, I've been here for about two months. So to, first of all, I thought I must have not been very well yesterday if I'd gone that pale, <laughs> but also, <laughs> Yeah. you know for that child and that's when I stood there and I thought actually there's nobody else that looks like me here yeah. yeah so and the area where that was was not a very ethnically diverse area so actually 
him asking that question is because he has that natural wonderment yeah. about difference. Absolutely. And that's what we need to embrace with our children because some children will never see another person apart from those that look like them until they are older. Absolutely. Yeah, and our, we know that there's no such thing as a neutral education, right? So, you know, uh, children are brought into the world and then they pick up ideas as they're taught them by their school or by their parents. And, and, and we are responsible for the messages that those children have around difference. And it, whether that's something to be celebrated or something to be um, fearful of, um, you know, whether we're judgmental or st uh, have stereotypes in our heads about different kinds of people, mm -hmm. or uh, like that, you know, have that sense of I love that word wonderment. Have that wonderment. Have that curiosity about. Um, I'm really interested to find out about um, what what life is like for different people, and to hear their stories and. Um, and to, to get that real sense of we're so enriched by those stories and actually um, we, that, that, that it brings so much to our lives to hear about people who are different, to meet people who are different um, and actually, what's it, you know, it's sad, isn't it, if, if, if the only people we ever meet in our lives are just like us, you yeah. know, looking at reflections of ourselves rather than opening up the doors and finding out what the world has to offer us. And I think we're in the problem, we've got a problem now because for some reason, over time, the word difference has become a negative thing. Right. Yeah. And, you know, teenagers don't want to be different. Yeah. They all want to fit in with each other. Yeah. And that whole concept of difference is, unfortunately, has become a real negative. Yeah. And, you know, personally, I think we've spent such a long time teaching that everyone is the same yeah because yeah we spent years teaching PSHE we spent yeah. years even in our RE teaching we talk about how we are the same but actually we're not the same yeah we all have equal rights yeah, everybody has the right to those rights yeah. or should have but actually we are all different mm. and because we spend so long talking about being the same that actually we lose the value of difference. Yeah, absolutely. And we lose, so if we go back to the paragraph and it talks about, you know, that um, disparate communities can live well together because they're rooted in dialogue. And you said earlier on, actually, we've got to learn to have those conversations where we can disagree well. But actually, if we think that everybody has to be the same as us, then that it leads us to the idea that everybody has to think the same as us. But um, again, you know, that we're losing out so much if, if everybody has the exact same opinion as us. We need to not see people's different opinions or different ideas as being threatening, but actually something that brings so much um, richness into our lives. And um, I wonder if you've got um, any thoughts on how we can disagree well in these conversations. I think it's just about being open and honest and actually just saying to everybody, we might have some conversations that might get a bit fractious yeah. but actually they need to happen yeah. we've spent too long sitting on the fence yeah. about so many things and there is still so much that so many people have to learn there's still so much that i have to learn about and but it's up to us to do that because mm. unfortunately we have a curriculum but doesn't really allow much room for thinking. 
Mm. It's so full of what has been deemed valuable content and valuable knowledge, but actually it doesn't leave room for much thinking. And everyone is so time poor. Mm. You know, teachers are just constantly trying to do the best that they can. But the reality is they're a teacher, they're loco parentis, they're social workers, they're first Mm -hmm. aiders, they're everything to 30 children every day. They haven't always got the time to be going home and then do hours and hours more research. So the problem is, is you get in that comfortability of just carrying on with the norm. And at some point someone has to go, is this the best thing for our children? Yeah. And at that point, you really have to go back to the children yeah, because that is where it all comes from. Absolutely. You know, whether you've got a very diverse you know, community or not, it's about talking to those children and talking to the parents because that's what we're doing everything for. Yeah. And if we're making curriculum choices mm-hmm. external of the children and the community, then actually we're making choices for us, not for them, because you'll only ever go as far as you know. Yeah. And actually if our own knowledge is very limited, it's not going to be very, it's not going to be fulfilling. Yeah. And I know, oh, sorry. No, carry on. And <laughs> I, I, I know that we, we, we started having this conversation in our, in our network and um, we talked about how we've got set units of work, for example, about the Romans. And you were really great at saying, but there are the opportunities in yeah. the curriculum if we can only be imaginative enough and creative enough to look for them. And, you know, we know that people are time poor, but actually it's that mindset of thinking, what you know what could this look like if I actually explored where there might be the opportunities here to to really find out about um black history to really find out about the different cultures that have been part of forming our history or our literature I know that um that you're great at um at celebrating black poets and black authors and um so how can people make that start into having that more creative and imaginative approach to the curriculum I think we have to be really honest because this is not something that will be solved overnight this is going to be a process of continual change which which is exciting as much as it's scary because we're still finding out now so much history and so many things that we didn't know it's you know it's just going to keep constantly evolving Mm. i think we have to be honest with ourselves that for a little while the changes that will be happening will kind of be lip service but actually it's making a start so even if it's just that you go on to you know like the Baymed website has so many resources for primary for secondary for higher education even if it is doing something as simple as adding some more diverse books to your you know book stock in the library that's a start because if you run the, the deeper work alongside the other things they will start to marry up and over time it won't be that bolt on anymore it will just naturally filter in because we are constantly going to be learning everyone's going to be learning so so much at the same time which makes it exciting so as the years go on it will all come together a bit more but you have to make that start and I think that's sometimes the scariest bit because you think this is huge. Yeah. And once I jump off that cliff, 
I've got a really long way to drop because this is massive. But at least making that start is important. And even if that start is saying, we are marginalizing some of our children. Some of our children are unfortunately the victim of our own unconscious bias. Some of our practices that we do are maybe not suitable for all of our children. Even if you start that, that acknowledgement is the first start. And if you've got that, then at least you're on the journey to change. And we have to be honest, everyone is in all different places, especially right now. We're all trying to think about um, COVID recovery and things. Right. You know, so, you know, taking on, we're going to become an anti-racist school. Yeah. I'll be like, whoa, we're just trying to get our heads around, you know, wiping everything down every 30 minutes. Yeah. It's hard to take those two things on, but it's something that's important to have in the back of your head because I know for my own children, they could almost deal with coronavirus. It was almost like, we're safe. We know what to do. We know what not to do. I can deal with that. But when they saw George Floyd, that yeah. couldn't, they couldn't get their heads around that. Yeah. And for my eldest, who's only nine, to ask me if that could happen to his brothers because they are darker than him. He is very light skinned. They are darker. Mm. And I'm thinking, I can't tell you no. Mm. That's a problem. Yeah. And that's where the urgency comes in, in, yeah. you know, actually it's not okay for children in our society, children in our schools to feel scared or to feel worried. You know, we, we, we take safeguarding really, really seriously in our schools, but if we've got children in our schools who are anxious purely because of the color of their skin, it's just not okay. And it's something we have to deal with with a real sense of urgency. Definitely. And, you know, our strap line is a caring Christian school, you know, that promotes life in all its fullness. That is our, that's our vision. But the reality is, is that we have families here who have experienced real racism in their houses, in their streets, when they walk home. And that's our community. So for as, as diverse as we may seem, there's actually, that is happening. Mm. And so we have to be mindful that, you know, these things happen here. It's not just a situation that happens in America. I mean, if you look at the figures about the number of people that were stopped, had stop and search during the pandemic, it's, you know, when you look at it, it's ridiculous how many white British were stopped compared to how many black British in central London. And you think, why is that? Why are the numbers so significantly higher especially during a time of lockdown you know why why is that but have we really moved on yeah and that's why um one of the reasons why we've set up this network where we've got british leaders and we've got american leaders because one of the things that i think it can be easy to do is to say this is something that happens somewhere else this happens in america we see it not on our tv screens and that's very very sad and we can be very upset about it but but actually stops us from taking responsibility from the fact that it's happening here in our country in our cities in our towns and 
we have a collective responsibility to do something about that you know even if it's not happening in our school even if we have a school that is um a lovely harmonious diverse community we each of us have a responsibility to do something about it and across all the church of england schools that we have across the country we would hope that people would really be taking this seriously about how can we ensure that our schools are bringing about life in all its fullness for all its pupils for all its families so that we don't have families who are describing what you're talking about or for example we know that um you know black caribbean boys are much more likely to be excluded from school you know are we thinking about what are the factors that are involved in that and thinking about how we can do things differently so that actually we are dealing with the problems that we have in our own society and in our own situations and i think it's that acknowledgement that there are issues here that's really important so my husband works for a financial company they're actually owned by an American company. And, you know, after the George Floyd incident, within three weeks, you know, he's in our bedroom office at the moment, you know, he was doing a four hour unconscious bias training. Right. And here we are in education. Yeah. At the ground face of this. Right. <laughs> at a place where we can make actual change. Yes. And we have nothing. Yes. And yes. you just think, this is what's really wrong is somebody needs to actually stand up and say we have to face up to these issues here yeah you know it if someone's you know why is it that in america they are rolling out immediate unconscious bias training because they acknowledge this is needed and yet we are still sitting here with nothing yeah and that's it's not acceptable because nothing will change until we have that acknowledgement yeah. that actually it's not all tickety-boo right now right and you know things like unconscious bias training that's really deep stuff you know it's so much more than just you know a middle leader knocking up a powerpoint and doing that for staff training mm. because what comes out of that is a lot you need to have someone who actually knows what they're talking about and knows how to handle what might come out of it. Right, and exactly. Once you open that can of worms, you can't go back on it. Yeah. And so that's where you just think we need this to be acknowledged yes. that we can't all do this alone. Yes. We need more collaboration. We need to work together yes. because we won't make that change unless we actually work together. And I think it's the word activists that's in yeah. that paragraph yeah that's what we need peace seeking environment saving community loving activists we want our children to realize that actually they have to make a difference they have to because it's they have to make a difference for their future absolutely and we have to help them put them on that path now yeah exactly um can I ask you about your own experience and your own story of how you've come to be in the um, in the leadership position that you're in now? Um, so it's an interesting story. I love an interesting story. I started as an NQT in 2007 and I spent seven years working in a Catholic school, actually, which is just next door um, ah. to the school that I was in. And I've always wanted to work at St Mary's, but forever. I, I, don't know why I've just always been drawn to this school and I've always wanted to work here and I think you know the faith school element the community element um, really strikes a chord with me but I always wanted to work here and 
Um, I've been in my position as a class teacher for seven years and I knew that I needed to do something different. I'd, I had itchy feet and I know when I get like that, I was needing to make a jump. So um, I went to be assistant head in a school, another school in Southend with a very different demographic to my single form Catholic school. This yeah. school, um, three form entry, lots of the children, you know, people premium, we were in figures off the stratosphere. Lots of the children had social workers. We had four learning mentors. It was the complete difference to my little tiny single form Catholic school, but it was the best thing I ever did because actually it really made me into a different sort of leader because I had kind of the full rounding of all different types of children and families from there. Yeah. Um, and then coming to St Mary's, when the job came up, I did a move, I did a sideways move to become assistant head here, but it's where I wanted to be. Yeah. The diversity, the, the potential, it was just, it, school had got bigger. So it was definitely a time um, for it to be moving forward. And that's kind of how I came about. And how I came about doing all the ethnic diversity stuff actually stemmed from me doing the church school leadership program. Ah, great. So I did that through the Chelmsford Diocese mm -hmm. in um, the previous academic year. So that would be the 18-19 academic year. Great. And we were having a, like a keynote speech after the dinner. So it was that kind of seven o'clock lull yeah. when you're thinking, oh, everyone's got a bit whiny now, but we're going to yeah. listen. <laughs> and, um, it was all about myths in leadership. And one of the myths was about gender roles, that all you know, leaders are middle class white men. Mm -hmm. And the research we were looking at was American research. Mm -hmm. And my head teacher was also on the programme with me. We all went as a senior leadership team. And he made the point of saying, OK, he put his, OK, Roger, you just told us these myths, but all the leaders you've shown us are men. Right. So you kind of perpetuated the myths by showing us all these men. At that point, I sat there and I thought, again, I am the one person here that is not white. Yeah. So there were 25 of us there and I was the only person that was not white. And I kind of noticed more of those things now than when I was younger, but I realized lots of other things that happened when I was younger that really weren't acceptable, but I just didn't think anything of it. And there I was, that kind of mold in my head so the day after, I was sitting in the hairdressers, you know, yeah. at the one black hairdressers we have here in Southend. I right. was there. She comes yeah. down from London. She's excellent. Brilliant. Sitting under the dryer. And I looked up the figures. I looked up the school workforce figures for the DFE and found that in under the bracket of assistant or deputy head, I was one of 100. Yeah. yeah. And just going through those figures, mm -hmm. it just really kind of slapped me in the face. Yeah. I just how little representation there is yeah. in our school leadership. Yeah. It's just shocking. Yeah. Um, I then ended up doing my project for the church school leadership program, all about this. So my research with the children was all about this. And um, the kind of dissertation thing I had to write was all about this. And the research that I did was, it's just mind blowing to think of all the different reasons why we don't have BAME school leaders. And the, and it's not one stayed fast thing. There's so many avenues as to why we're in this situation. And luckily at the end of it, I kind of 
through my SLE route, went to my teaching school alliance and said, look, I, we need to do something about this. Mm -hmm. And I'd run middle leadership programs for them. Mm -hmm. And I think it was sent from God because the next day the equality and diversity funding email came out and we bid for it and we got it. So I have 13 teachers from across South Essex and okay. um, I've been meeting all hopefully on the journey to become Bain's school leaders. And it's so important because our children need to see themselves reflected Absolutely. in everything. Yeah. Too often when we've brought diversity into the curriculum, it's from a place of struggle. Yeah. You know, I have never been at school and learnt about black history apart from struggles. Yeah. yeah. I've heard you talk about Mary Seacole and how she's the one person that everybody learns about school. And, but yeah, yeah, I love Mary Seacole. Yeah. But, but then I'm like, it just perpetuates the other thing that all black women are nurses. Yes. And how many times has my mother been asked if she was a nurse? We were on holiday in Cyprus and we were asked if we were the nurses. And we just think, no. Yeah. We, but it's that stereotype. We've got to move away from that. And we spend such a long time as well talking about the first. Yes. Yeah. Who is the first black man that did this? Who is yeah. the first black woman that did this? And I just need to, I'm saying to my teachers, it's not just about the first, it's who came after. Because actually, it's really difficult to always be the first. Yeah. But so for our children, they now can't be the first astronaut because that's happened. But right. actually, <laughs> but they all... can be the second or the third or the exactly. fourth, and that's what we want, isn't it? And it's, and it's showing them that others have come since. The journey didn't end with that first. Yes. Other people have come since, which means that you can also do this. Yes. They yes. have to have that aspiration, yes. and. You know, I might become a head teacher and decide I hate it. I don't know. But, <laughs> it's a great job. You would love it. <laughs> but the thing is, is I have to be part of the change. Yeah. Because yeah. we need more people to be part of the change. We need more people to shake it up a bit and make some noise and yeah. to actually be out there. Yeah. Because that's what our children need. They don't yeah. see themselves reflected enough yeah. and it sticks with them yeah yeah and they need to know that and that anything that is possible to be done is is available to them if they get you know the right support and the right education and that's our job is to provide that education that enables them both to have all the skills that they need and to see themselves in those in those um all those different roles not just as mary seacole but um as as a poet or a, or a ballerina it's all been in the news this week but you know as a scientist as a um as you know anything you could be as prime minister you know we've there's been a, a, a black american president but where are our um our politicians and our, our leaders in society for them to look up to and um, we're so delighted that you are one of our, our leaders Alicia and um if if you have one last thing to say just as we finish off what one thing would you uh what one message would you want to give to our school leaders um across the country I think it's that we have to go back to the children all the time and it's not about keeping things the way they are just because that's the way it's always been it's not about today, it's about the future. And actually, you have to go to the children. And if they're not happy, if they don't see themselves as belonging, I think that element of belonging is so, so important. 
because if you don't feel that you belong you always feel like you're on the back foot and some of our children don't have that supporter in the background some of our children don't have a tower of strength behind them some of our children feel very alone and actually we have to have that belonging but it goes beyond that belonging is just the beginning belonging is the beginning at the end of it we want our children to feel like their voice is equally as important and valued as anybody else's voice and if every single one of our children leaves our church schools or any school feeling valued and feeling that actually they can be something then the vision for education has actually come to life because until we have that vision that everybody can have that life in all its fullness no matter creed color you know monetary background whatever the world will never change and we have to have these peace-seeking environment-saving community-loving activists because if we don't have them we're not going very far and we've not come very far so far but we need to make a difference for the children because it's there tomorrow and we have to make that better than today absolutely fantastic thank you so much alicia it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today so inspiring so much for people to really um, take away and think through and listen to and we'll put the links of the different things that you've mentioned into the email so people can follow those things up thank you very much thank you for inviting me <laughs> absolute pleasure <laughs>